Yeah, well, I, I think the, the biggest uh, thing that, that stuck out to me was the possession percentage. Um, it, it was kind of remarkable to, to, that Everton have a 2 nothing win here and they have 28% possession. Now, as a Tottenham fan, I'm used to having teams, uh, to supporting teams that do not have the most possession. And, and, I, and I don't believe the possession should be indicative of, of a scoreline. But I think 28% is, is such a low number to actually get a result and a win and to allow zero goals. Because for a team like Liverpool, they, they take pride in their possession. And that's, that's just how Jurgen Klopp likes to manage his, his teams. And Liverpool do it to perfection, basically. But the fact that Liverpool aren't able to get any goals out of that is, is kind of alarming. And for Everton, we talked about this before, how Everton and Tottenham play very similar styles, how we're basically watching the same two teams. Tottenham don't possess much of the ball either. The difference, though, is that as of late, Everton have been able to use that to their advantage, and, ab- and they've been able to score off the counterattack. And you saw that uh, twice, I think. Was it was the penalty based on a... a yeah, I, I believe it was Dominic Calvert-Lewin getting through in on goal. Allison comes out, and then I believe Trent Alexander-Arnold tackled him. Yeah. And, and there's been a little bit Liverpool fans aren't happy about the call. I think it was fair and unbiased. Trent Alexander-Arnold stuck out his leg a little bit. So while you can argue that maybe Dominic Calvert-Lewin was the one initiating the contact... I mean, he was also through on goal, and so Alexander-Arnold made an unnatural p- uh, play. Of course, it could go either way, but the way they called it on, on the pitch, that was a penalty, and VAR really couldn't do enough to overturn it, and, right. and that's kind of what happened on that play. Right, and I think in, in that situation, VAR is used in the right way, where VAR is not trying to re-referee a decision. VAR is trying to say, was there an obvious, a, a clear and obvious error, I think, is the language of the of how VAR works. A clear and obvious error that the referee made in calling a penalty. Now, that's not re-refereeing. That's saying, is there a mistake that he made? And I believe the answer to that is no. Um, it, there was contact. Uh, at, at the speed at which you play, it always looks like it's really bad until you slow it down. And then once you slow it down, you say, oh, he barely touched him. But I've always never really been a fan of speeding, of slowing down plays and looking at them in slow motion because... That's just not how the game works. The game isn't played in slow motion. But we, that's, a, that's a conversation for another day. The point is, Everton played their tactics to perfection. And the, the two different tactics, the very different ones of possessing, getting lots of passes, spreading the ball wide, bringing it into the, into the middle areas and spreading it back out wide for crosses in, that just wasn't as effective as Everton's, which is to sit back, let your opponent make a mistake, and counter on it. And, and they did that very well. Um, on uh, was it Saturday? Yesterday, yeah, on that Saturday. That was yesterday. And, uh, Saturday. and and the result shows it's it's a big result though because I think I said at the beginning of or at the at the end of last week's show that if City if if Liverpool is able to get a win over City that changes things for Liverpool for the Liverpool game and Everton lost against City and yet still beat Liverpool so not really what anyone really expected to happen there. I think fair, fairly, yeah. but in terms of the table, it has big implications because Liverpool is now five points out of the top four. They're level with Everton on points now. Right, and so it, it really changes the dynamic where a few weeks ago we've, we were talking about how the, the race for the title is so close. Now that that's kind of gone way out of hand where City has a 10-point lead, there's now multiple teams that, can, that are looking into the top four and unfortunately, one of the teams that's sitting there right now is West Ham, and, and Tottenham are, yeah. are largely responsible for that because of a, a loss today. 
And, and but. Yeah, I kind of wanted to get into that a little, maybe after this. I wanted to point out a few more things about this Merseyside Derby game, if mm-hmm. you don't mind. You look at Everton in that counterattacking, and the way they sat back, and it's not going to be pretty. I believe they ended the game with 29% possession. That's not fun to watch, but it worked, right? You're not going to allow Liverpool to counterpress, and that's very smart by Carlo Ancelotti there to, to not allow that. And then Everton really took advantage of that playing into the spaces. That first goal was a bit of magic from James Rodriguez to bring it down off, off his foot and play a beautiful through ball to Richarlison, who's getting back into form. And it's unbelievable home road form, even in an era of COVID-19, where you think, okay, home games and road games. Well, Everton plays like five minutes down the road from Anfield. And the thing is, Everton have one of the worst home records in the Premier League. All it took was them still playing in Liverpool, but going five minutes away night and day from like recent matches against Fulham where they lost 2 nothing, and they were just the style of play that naturally comes and I find that weird looking at soccer as a whole and how it's usually the fans the fans are so demanding so when there's fans in the stadium they don't want their team to play passive like that so that's mm-hmm. kind of what leads to teams sitting back more on the road and going for it at home like Everton at Goodison Park can't sit back and play with 29% possession without a bunch of boos coming from the Gladys Street end mm-hmm. but I found it funny because in any way, Everton sat back, which they would normally do at Liverpool, but what's stopping Everton from playing with possession other than they're really bad at it? That's probably a bad example, but Liverpool Liverpool could have played any way they wanted to. They didn't have their fans there after a rough stretch of games, and imagine how ugly it would have gotten in the 80th minute going down 2 nothing to a team that a lot of uh, Liverpool fans haven't ever witnessed their team lose to. And mm. so... This, this game was amazing. Great quality goals by Everton. They did well to see it out. Like you said, 2 nothing. You can argue that last call, but that doesn't take anything away from Everton's performance. They fully deserved it. And the other thing with Liverpool, we'll talk about it later, a 2 nothing win uh, in the middle of the week against RB Leipzig. Mm-hmm. You'd think maybe they'd bring that form into the Premier League, but I, I just didn't see it. And, and so just some stats before we wrap up. I believe Liverpool, that's their first time since the 1920s, losing four straight yeah. at home. And Everton, that's their eighth straight road game without a loss. Uh, that dates back to about Thanksgiving. But you see Everton, like I mentioned earlier, at home, they've lost to Newcastle, Fulham. Uh, they have a dangerous next game against Southampton. And West Ham looks better by the day, so that's mm-hmm. not as terrible. But Newcastle and Fulham were terrible. So that's pretty much all I had on Everton. And I, I know you didn't really want to talk about Tottenham, but I, I guess now is a better time than any to kind of get into at least what your thoughts are on that game and the recent performance. Yeah, well, a really unfortunate result today. Uh, it's like 6 or 6.30 kickoff uh, Central Time and finished 2-1 to one in favor of West Ham. Um, you know, I, I, I keep struggling with, with interpreting how this like, the result of this game because I'm not used to having a West Ham team in the top four right now. Jesse Lingard. It's Jesse Lingard, really, and, and against his former against his former manager in in, uh, in Mourinho uh, at United. But anyway, I mean, it's it's really it's really difficult. I don't know how upset I should be about this loss because you're right. West Ham is getting better by the day. They're solidified in the top four right now, two points ahead of fifth place Chelsea, and and their form is excellent. And so, you know, it's it's Tottenham definitely did not play a great game by any means two defensive mistakes yet again just individual errors um but but it 
they took 20 shots. Tottenham took 20 shots, and only four of them are on target. So yeah. it's not like it's only the defensive issues. You know, they're 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 fluffing their feathers in front of goal, if you will, and 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 they're not they're not finishing on on chances. They had 70 percent possession today. That's not how they usually play. But I th- I think it's because West Ham score in the fifth minute. They're going to sit back because they know that Tottenham plays counterattacking style. They don't want to try and get complacent in in Tottenham's defensive third and allow them to get a quick counter. They, now they're comfortable sitting back. Let Tottenham press the issue. And the goal from Lucas Moura didn't come until the 64th minute. So yeah. they they went into halftime down a goal and and very quickly again out of the out of the gates 47th minute Jesse Lingard scores and now it's two nothing. And now the issue really needs to be pressed. Now Tottenham did get one back. Um, with Mora, as I mentioned, but you know they just there's not as much urgency it seems with them, and and they're making so many mistakes, um, not like you know passing mistakes, and but it's it's individual errors on defense, and it's the inability to finish in front of goal, and it's really costing them, and and they're starting to see that in the table, they're they just they keep dropping, they're in ninth place now, behind uh, just in front of Arsenal. Who at the at, earlier in the season I was mocking all my Arsenal friends. We all were, and we yeah we all were for being in the middle of the table, um, and it seems like Tottenham has just since then they've just kind of sat there, and other teams have just moved in front of them. Um, you know, teams like like even like Everton and and West Ham and Aston Villa. You know, it, it's yeah. it's really unfortunate, and something has to change, and and that actually goes right into. What I want to talk about next, which is Tottenham's performance in the Europa League, because I think that is an that is an excellent way for Tottenham to get back into form, to find some sort of uh, positive, uh, and to give some other players experience. One of those players is Gareth Bale. Um, I talked about last week how I was not happy with Gareth Bale's uh, minutes, how I, I thought that Mourinho was not giving enough him enough minutes. Um, I also thought that Deli Ali should be given some more to at least prove himself, so that we can decide whether or not. He should be getting more. And in the midweek against um, Wolfsburger, Tottenham took care of business. They got a 4-1, very comfortable win. Um, and in that game, both Bale and Deli Alli started. And they played phenomenal games, I thought, especially Gareth Bale. He scored once. He assisted uh, Son. His goal was excellent. They, they showed, uh, I think I saw this on Twitter somewhere, um, that he scored a nearly identical goal to a a beautiful goal he had at Real Madrid, and that's so. why you get him back from Real Madrid, right? And and he he's it's not like he's a washed up player. I really don't think he is. I just think he's not being used right. I don't I don't think he has as many minutes as he should be getting. Um, but he scored. Uh, Son also added a goal, as I mentioned, that was assisted by Bale. So the first two goals, first assisted, and then Bale scores, and then Mora and Vinicius added one very late. But a four one win is exactly what you need, and it's also a good time to play younger players, players who aren't getting as many minutes, because not only does it rest the normal first-team starters for the Premier League, it, it gives you the ability to try and find some players who maybe can give you some help in those games. And I think that the future, hopefully by the end of this season, we'll see Gareth Bale kind of take the pitch a little bit more, be out there in the starting 11, or at least come off the bench 50, 60, 70th minute, so that he's not a bench warmer the whole game, and maybe he comes on in the 85th. You know, and gives a couple minutes because I think he can do more than that. He's just such a versatile player, and in a Tottenham team that that desperately needs goal scorers that aren't Harry Kane and Hyungman's son, I think he's just so important. Um, so that's all. That's all I really have on Tottenham. Yeah, I just 
it's obviously disappointing, but the Europa League is a great opportunity because they're in the round of 32. They have a very comfortable lead over Wolfsburger going into the second leg. And assuming that they make it out of that round, things will start getting difficult. They're going to start playing better teams. But I think that Tottenham have the tools to make a very far run in the Europa League, and that is the chance for them to build confidence. And that confidence hopefully will boil over into the Premier League. You you brought up a lot of interesting points there. Just just to confirm here, was the Tottenham game, was that at West Ham or was that at Tottenham? Um, that's actually a good question. I don't remember. Find out where that was, but I really... This was uh, London Stadium, so that's at West Ham. Okay, so that's interesting that kind of going the opposite of Everton-Liverpool um, where Tottenham's having that 70% possession on the road. So that's kind of an inverse situation. Everton and Tottenham's a lot like Everton in that way. We've talked about it before, but in that and it's it's a global soccer problem. It's not just these two teams, right? Yeah. The best teams like City are the teams that teams know how to play City, but City have so much quality that rises above it. Because you can play sit back, you can sit back all you want, and then force a team to break you down. Everton's not good at it. Tottenham's not good at it. It's just the way that they play. But. What makes City different, of course, is having a player like Kevin De Bruyne or Luke Gundogan, or mm-hmm. and then the strikers like Gabriel Jesus, um, Riyad Mahrez. We got to talk about him. Riyad Mahrez. Yeah, yeah. we got to do that too. But they're they can they face that every game and they know how to break through it. And that's not an easy thing to do. Any team, and it's the same thing with counterattacking. You can do it. It looks ugly when it doesn't work. Mm-hmm. And that's that's just the tactical side of soccer. So I kind of like how you brought that in the mind with Tottenham and. There's a lot of interesting things. Like, you're right. I'm trying to think through Tottenham. Who's scoring a goal outside of your wing player? Harry Kane, of course, is one of the best goal scorers in the world. I mm-hmm. think that's still true today. Youngman's son, he's not a pure goal scorer, but he does a little bit of everything. He's the perfect player on that front line. Gareth Bale should be playing more. Hopefully, he gets in the more form. That's a good front line. I guess Lucas Mora. But where else are you getting goals, especially at midfield? And I like uh, Ndombele in the back. Mm-hmm. And... I think there's a lot of good pieces, but I also don't. I know you, um, Tottenham invested in uh, Chilwell, was it from Leicester? Yeah. I mean, yeah. you're looking at the outside backs there, and I know we can't talk about Tottenham and Everton forever. We have so much to talk about, but the way that I don't know what they're trying to do with the outside back experiment there. I, I, it seems like they have what they need, but they don't. They Jose Mourinho needs to do better at putting the pieces together, and that that was one of the games and. I guess we can segue from that into some of the interesting games around Europe because it's pretty quick before going over some generic points before break. But uh, two other games I wanted to point out. Eintracht Frankfurt beat Bayern Munich in the Bundesliga. No easy task, of course. Bayern, Mus- Bayern Munich's always on, on winning streaks. They lost today or yesterday, I believe, 2-1. to one. And looking at that game, kind of going through the highlights, um, watched a little bit at the end of it. Frankfurt went up 2-0, and first goal in the 11th minute, well-worked team goal uh, that resulted in kind of the ball making its way into the middle of the box for, um, I believe it was Daichi Kamada, and he put it in. Great team goal. Second goal was just an individual piece of skill by Amin Yunus. Who, it, the, ball, the play comes in from the left, because that's where Eintracht Frankfurt are best. Kind of gets recycled into the box. Then on the outside, he takes it with his right foot and curls it in. Beautiful goal. And then Bayern, of course, you got Sané. It's another example of City with such great talent where Sané can do do his one-on-one game and then it goes to Lewandowski in the box. So that's one of the more interesting games that I thought. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or 
maybe in the broad term, is that a formula for beating Byron or do you just have to be lucky on your day, get a piece of individual quality that you get once every five games? I, I think the first goal is more replicable. But, I mean, it's not easy to beat Byron either. Yeah, well, I, I do agree that I, I don't know that there is a formula for beating Byron. And you bring up an interesting point about you know just having a lucky day. And that happened to um, to Armenia um, in the in the the game they played in the Bundesliga before this yeah. one. It was a three three draw, but the first half was played in an absolute blizzard. And I'm talking like they had to clear the field uh, to to clear the lines every 15 minutes. It was falling so hard. And I was watching that game on ESPN Plus, and I turned it on. I was like, oh, I'm watching the rest of this because I love watching games in the snow. There's just something beautiful about it. Um, and so Armenia get out to a really quick two nothing win, uh, two nothing lead. Excuse me. Uh, in the first forty minutes, Lewandowski adds a, a, a really nice goal, just a beautiful touch off of his chest, and, and volleys it in to make it two one. But then the next minute, Armenia get another goal back. So then it's three to one. And around this time of the game, the snow just completely stopped, and they cleared the whole field of snow. And so if you had turned it on. In the second half, you would not have realized that it was even snowing or that it even had snowed. And so the conditions change, and it seems to become a completely new game. Uh, and it, it culminates with uh, Byron do getting one back, and then it's 3-2. They're, they're, they're still losing. And Alfonso Davies, I don't know if you saw this goal, but he just hit an absolute missile. Uh, first touch, I think it was, it was saved by the, 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 the initial shot from someone else was saved by... Armenia's keeper, and it just came straight to straight to Davies from just inside the 18, and he hit an absolute rocket uh, to to tie the game, and that's how it finished. So, I think the conditions play a really important role, uh, and that contributes to a lot of the luck that you talk about in in the next game where Bayern couldn't even get a point. So Bayern's in some interesting situation here. They built themselves such a big cushion; it doesn't matter though at some point. Yeah, I I agree with that, but I I think it also transitions into the Champions League. Where they're playing against, uh, are they playing Lazio this week? They are playing Lazio. So while you know their results in the Bundesliga don't have anything to do with their results in the Champions League, I think that the form is important. And of course, they they you know you can't say oh these two games mean that Bayern are in bad form and that they're now going to be playing poor against Lazio. You know because we saw that the opposite of that with Liverpool, where Liverpool beats Leipzig and then loses to uh, to Everton. But you know. Yeah. It's it's an important thing it's an important thing to consider and I think if if Bayern does struggle against Lazio then you can start to say oh maybe these games uh really did mean something maybe they really did take a toll on the team but as of now it's really hard to say that cuz you're right they built themselves such a big cushion. Yeah, I I mean Bayern's probably not worried at all. Just an interesting result another one Barcelona drew Cadiz. I believe it was a late penalty by Cadiz in the 89th minute that drew points there. And there's a conversation I want to have about Barcelona. I want to move that down maybe after the break when we're talking about Barcelona PSG. Um, And just to kind of have a few minutes to go through some of these other interesting European things I found, points. And and today, actually, Sunday morning, Romelu Lukaku, he is the leading scorer in all of Serie A, 17 goals, one more than Ronaldo for now. And he had another great goal today against AC Milan in that rivalry game, rivalry game between Inter and AC, where I believe he picked up the ball at midfield, and then he just drives all the way by himself to his left 
and then he uses his left foot and just outside the box with that power, a low, low shot, just an unbelievable goal. And it's mm-hmm. what why Lukaku's so good. It feels like he's playing more free at Inter than he was at Manchester United, kind of back to the early Everton days with lower expectations, at least in a club like United, with so much pressure. He had an assist and a goal in that game. He's been unbelievable. Another player I did want to touch on, and this is kind of where I'll, I'll go to you here. First, some news. Bruce Dortmund, we seem to talk about them every week. There's a lot going on with that club. Uh, Marco Reuse from Borussia Mönchengladbach. It, it looks like he's set to take over in Dortmund next season. Announced by Gladbach, but not by... or Yeah, I believe it was announced by Gladbach, mm-hmm. but not by Dortmund, which I found was odd. Yeah. Such a bright up-and-coming manager, though. So... I want, I'm wondering how he brings that success, but also before I go into it, four nothing Dortmund over Schalke, Erling Holland. I have so many things I want to touch on with him later in their next segment. Mm-hmm. But one, what did you think of that goal versus Schalke? And then going back to that that initial question, like how how does Rosa bring that success? He has a Gladbach. You're looking at the Manchester United level expectations at Dortmund, but mm-hmm. with like a bunch of younger players, but all of the skill. They're, Dortmund's more talented than Manchester United. Dortmund's just such an interesting team because they underperform so much. I'm wondering if this is something that Rosa can bring in and what he can do at Dortmund to meet those expectations. Well, okay, first I want to talk about the Holland goal because, of course, I, I mean, I think while the, the volley itself, and, and I'll just lay it out uh, in, in case anyone hasn't seen it yeah. who's listening, um, was it? Was it Royce who put the ball in? I believe it was Marco Royce. Uh, so basically, ball in from the left side, uh, just on the left wing, around about level with the 18, and Holland's at the back post, and he just he lets the ball come to him, and he strikes it perfectly with his left foot, uh, just a flying volley, goes straight into the back post, uh, like the the left far post on the by the left wing, and it, yeah. I, <laughs> It was beautiful, but the the thing that impresses me the most about that goal is not the finish because I I expect that type of finish from him. What I saw that really impressed me, and this is maybe just like the former player in me, but he was calling for the ball like like he knew what he was about to do. He put his hand up, calling for the ball, and I thought it was questionable defending by the Schalke defender. It's Schalke though, so what do you expect? Yeah, I'm yeah, fair enough. Very much last place in the Bundesliga, but but. The, the ball in was perfect, and, and Holland knew what he was going to do before he did it. And I think that's what amazes me the most about him, is he just has an eye for goal. And it reminds me so much of Ronaldo. Just he he knows what he's going to do far before he does it. I mean, he is he drifted back wide before the ball was even passed to Royce, and, and he just made a, a perfect run. It was a very subtle run, and he's just in the right place. And and that's just not, that has nothing to do with him being right place, right time. That is because he knew what was going to happen, and if there was a good ball into him, he knew what he was going to do with it, and he did just that. And I, and I think that's the most impressive thing, because on any given day, I expect Holland to score that type of goal. You know, he's not going to he's not going to score it every time because it's just so difficult. But you know, you can you can count on him at least putting that on target. And in this case, yeah. it was just perfectly placed. The keeper had no chance. Um, and and he added another one. You know, he didn't just score that goal. He had a brace. So yeah, he's. I think I saw a stat that he's scored seventy one goals in his last seventy uh, last seventy Dortmund games, uh, which is incredible. I mean, that's that's ridiculous. And that's just ridiculous for that number of games to be averaging more than a goal per game. It's I crazy. mean, claim the fame. 
He was coached by Jesse Marsh at uh, RB uh, Augsburg, I believe, or Salzburg. Why did I say Salzburg, Augsburg? Yeah. RB Salzburg before he came up. That's Jesse Marsh, who used to coach in MLS for all these years. That, that's kind of funny. I, I know he has some experience coaching Erlen Holland. And before we go to break, because we are already approaching the bottom of the hour, time flies. I, I did want to go into our underrated Premier League games of the week. I'll start. Lots of good games this week. I, I want to say mine was Leicester City and Arsenal. That's going to be Sunday, February 28th, 6 a.m. Central Time. It's a little bit of an investment if you want to wa- uh, wake up and watch the game. But I think it'll be worth your while. You look at Arsenal. They look a little better, and you touched on that earlier, Michael, as far as not being at the bottom of the league. Um, but they're still not great. They're still they're still relatively average. They're like in the middle, mid, they're mid-table club this year, as much as Ar- Arsenal fans would hate to admit that. Mm-hmm. Now, Leicester's a team that always flies under the radar. And they're sitting in second right now, I believe as of now, uh, with 49 points, still 10 points behind City. They're not going to catch him. But they haven't lost in their last four games. And another funny thing, I think, a connection between these two teams I was reading a little bit, Arsene Wenger, former coach of Arsenal, offered a lot of money for Jamie Vardy, Leicester striker, uh, during his coaching days there. Vardy, of course, is, is a very scrappy striker, very, very fast, can get him behind. He'll be playing again. I mean, Arsenal backlines of the past would have kind of cringed because he's so much faster than any of them. I think Arsenal's backlines getting a little better with their center halves and what they want to do. I think Jamie Vardy's still going to torch him. So I, I think Arsenal, for as wildly inconsistent as they are, they have such talent. They have um, Lacazette. They have Aubameyang. They have Pepe. They have a trio or cadre of attacking talent. I, I like what they have there. There's a lot of issues, which is why they are like seven or eight places behind Leicester at the moment. But I think this is a game where I don't see Arsenal winning it, but I also don't not see it Arsenal not keeping it competitive. Mm-hmm. Um, because, I mean, this year, the amount of parity this year in the Premier League has been amazing behind City now in first place. I, I think it's been fun to watch. I, I think this is a game that could go either way, most likely going to Leicester, and that's where I'm going to have it. I'm going to have Leicester picking up all three in this one. Two to one, but but again, I can see a few individual moments of brilliance, and Arsenal could pick up a point, maybe three in this one as well. So that's that's my game. Yeah, well, mine is Sheffield Liverpool, which is a very different matchup. Um, Sheffield in dead last, and Liverpool struggling to to remain or even to get back into the top four. Uh, Liverpool at the moment five points from the top four. They really need to win this game, and this is. They couldn't be playing a better opponent with the situation they're in now. And part of that is a good thing, but the other thing is it, it, it seems like the pressure's on them. And and it's interesting because now Liverpool, this game will be played on the road for Liverpool. They'll be, uh, they'll be at Sheffield. And it seems like that's now less stressful than it would be if they were at Anfield because of the, the recent record where they've got four... Uh, four losses. They haven't scored at Anfield since Sadio Mane did it on like December seventh against West Brom, outside of a penalty goal against City. Yeah, so so it's been a it's been a long time since they've had success at Anfield. So I think that them playing against the bottom team in the Premier League is uh, on the road. I think is honestly better for them than at Anfield. Um, Boy, and, and, have the mighty fallen. Yeah, it's 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 crazy. It's really weird how that's happened this year, but. It's been a crazy up and down season, um, and and that's just how it is now. Now the last time that Liverpool played Sheffield, they won 
two to one, and that was at Anfield. So, it, you know, take that out what you will. But <laughs> Liverpool's a very different team from when they played them. I think back in November, maybe October. Um, but on the other hand, Sheffield last place. They really need three points uh, to have any chance at getting out of relegation. Although at this point, it's looking like they're they're all but solidified there. Um, Fulham, who's the the last relegation team, is is eleven points ahead of them. And then even to get past them, Newcastle's another three up. So it, it's it's a very mighty task, and winning against Liverpool would be huge. But even that might not be enough. So I, you know, Sheffield has to win this game to have any chance. And and I personally don't think they'll be able to do it. I think Liverpool are going to win this, and and I think they're going to do it comfortably because there's got to be some sort of wake up call where you're like, guys. What's going on here? This is getting out of hand. This is not who we are. We need to get results. We need to score. Um, and I think a way at a, at a bottom team is, is a great start. And so this is, this is exactly who they want to be playing right now. And I think they're going to take advantage of that. Yeah, a pair of very interesting games. And with that, we're at the bottom of the hour. We're going to go to break for a minute. And we will be right back talking Champions League, uh, recapping last week, looking ahead to this week. As we continue on the latest episode of Soccer from the Zoo here on KCOU 88.1 FM. Welcome back. This is Kyle Pinnell. I'm joined by Michael Howie. This is Soccer from the Zoo on KCOU 88.1 FM. So much to talk about. So little time. I I did want to touch on. I know we talked about getting the Champions League. Lots of exciting touch points there. But the She Believes Cup that's been happening that's been some incredible soccer over the past few days. Now, I, I wish the U.S. didn't play today at 2 when we were covering a women's basketball game here at Mizzou. But that was a 2-0 win for uh, the U.S. And, and there's a player who I think has been my MVP. So impressive. I want to talk about it in a second. But the U.S. also won 1-0 against Canada. That is the game I did watch. I, I thought that was a pretty good game. I, I think it was interesting. I think it wasn't pretty. The United States had some midfield issues as far as the fit. Of course, kind of Flatko Andonofsky, the head coach, is messing around with what he thinks works. You have a player like Katarina Macario, one of the brightest young talents in, in uh, women's global soccer, and putting her in the midfield. But then you have um, Lindsey Horan um, and Ertz, um, Ertz there. And, and the thing with that, you have Ertz and you have Horan. And they're both destroyers, but Haran can do a little bit of everything. I think they were sorely lacking creativity. So when the U.S. beat Canada 1-0, it was Rose Lavelle with the goal in like the 80th minute. She came in late, and she's one of the brightest talents in this very talented U.S. women's national team player pool. I really like what I see out of her each game, and she brings that creativity to pair, because obviously you don't have Tobin Heath with her injuries she sustained while playing in England. And then you have... Um, on the some more creative aspects uh, f- from players who are injured, and, and this she believes cups a time for Vladko Andonovsky to kind of get the lineup he wants. Now I believe you see the difference in Rose Lavella, game changer there. So for me, some of those talking points is that U.S. midfield. Now again, they won two nothing against Brazil today, um, and, and for me, my MVP of this team, Crystal Dunn. And she also now plays for the Portland Thorns, so that's always nice to see. She's not in North Carolina, which was a pain in the butt every year. But that aside, she does everything. She There was a highlight of her 
where Brazil's in on goal and she sprints all the way back, all the way downfield, like probably 60, 70 yards. And she comes and she slide tackles the ball away. And, and that's just her speed is unbelievable. But also her creativity. You can play her outside back. You can play her on a wing position. You can play her kind of tucking in the midfield. I mean, I guess inverted fullback. There's so many things you can do with her. For me, Crystal Dunn is such a joy to watch this U.S. Women's National Team. It's good to have them back for the She Believes Cup. Lots of good games. Is there anything you want to touch on the U.S. Women's National Team? Well, yeah. So, you know, Tottenham today had 20 shots, four on target. In the uh, the game against Canada, I think they had like 29 shots or something, and uh, they had at least 10 opportunities to score. And uh, Andonovsky said after the game, she said, or they, he said, when we take when we create 10 opportunities to score and we score one, I'm disappointed. And I think that that kind of sums up the the mentality of U.S. women's soccer about how scoring one goal and coming out with a one nothing win is not something that they should necessarily be proud of or be happy about. And I, and I like that mentality. It's, it's ruthless. It's That's ruthless. Um, and and they, they, they need more. And, and you saw that today. They get a 2 nothing win against a, a slightly weaker Brazil team. But, you know, they've got two, two wins out of their two attempts uh, in the She Believes Cup. They got one more, I think, against Argentina. Yep. Um, and, and they can make it a really great tournament. Uh, and and they can really make a name for themselves if as if they need to do that. But but the point is that, that they've got all these chances. They're not capitalizing on them, and that just gives you that shows you what the potential of this team is if they're able to put some more in the back of the net um, and just just finish the opportunities they have because they have a lot of them. They've got so many players who can score goals and who can like you said that midfield is just so strong and it has the potential to be really good if if everyone works together and if they're all clicking. Um, you know, we don't have to talk about how good the U.S. women's team is because that just goes without saying. But I, I think that they have the potential to be way better than how they played against Canada. Yeah, and I mean, that's a part of coming back from breaks and everybody coming back from their own clubs. I, I think that just speaks to the expectations. You don't talk that way about the men's national team. Now, yeah. you talk about them with the promise they have. There's lots of young and exciting players, so many to talk about, but also just the expectations of the U.S., yeah, beating Canada one nothing looked good. I mean, there were times they should have conceded a few more goals. Arguably, yeah. I think they should have lost that game. Uh, a little bit sloppy. But if we're just critiquing their sloppiness that they can fix in practices and trainings and all of that, yeah. that's great. So I think the U.S. Women's National Team, they play one more game. That's going to be against Argentina. That should be um, the U.S.'s most comfortable win, uh, ideally. Um, if you look at the field of teams here, Brazil, you said slightly weaker. I think Brazil is the second strongest team in this tournament. You have, what, Argentina probably at the bottom, and you have Canada at third. At least that's how I'd kind of power rank the teams by myself here. Um, looking beyond the U.S., like I said, Brazil looked good in a win against Argentina. They won 4-1. Four, four to one. Um, They had eight shots, I believe six on target, 57% possession. Brazil was the United States' biggest test, and they passed that today. So that's that's a good sign. For Andonovsky's team, uh, Marta is still on that squad. Brazil, Brazil's pretty good. Now the one tie to the local tie here for um, the Midwest, Mariana Laroquette. Uh, she was the first international signing for KCNWSL, and, and she scored Argentina's only goal in that loss to um, Brazil. And it was just a beautiful header. Her reading, her marker, making a simple back post run. 
But the control on the header to get it all the way across the box, bounce in front of the keeper before going into the net, like that's a ridiculously hard angle. And the passion she brings and everything, I think it's going to be very exciting to see her play for KCNWSL. And and as far as local ties go, that's, that's a pretty good name to be watching. And of course, you have uh, Diana Matheson and Desiree Scott in Canada for KC. Um, no players on the U.S. Women's National Team. But yeah, that, that's kind of my thoughts on the overall tournament. And I, did you want to get into the Champions League now? As we have, probably have about fifteen minutes left. Yeah, uh, let's do it. I mean, it was it was an excellent slate of games. Um, do we do we want to do want to recap first and then go into the upcoming games? Yeah, we can probably recap the scores of all of these. Yeah. Kind of if we remember some of the goals before really going into a few questions, we have to wrap up the episode. Yeah. So the first one and, and the biggest one on most people's minds was PSG Barca, and PSG just utter domination and when i say psg i mean killian mbappe with a hat trick Killing mbappe fc i mean yeah just unbelievable unbelievable performance from mbappe it was kind of cool to see messi and mbappe on the field at the same time and and to have mbappe just completely outplay uh messi and and that's not to say that you know they went against each other or anything but you know mbappe just it, he had a better game and uh it, it's cool to see the future um playing with uh, the legends. Uh, when I when I talk about Messi and, and Mbappe, um, so so that was that was the biggest one and and an excellent result for PSG. They have a very comfortable lead going into the second leg. Um, I mean, Barcelona is in a really difficult place. They've got to score a lot of away goals if they want any chance here, and uh, and so it's a tough spot for them. Um, the next one, uh, uh, Dortmund three, Sevilla two. Uh, another Holland brace. That's two braces in one week for him, uh, and one of them par for is, the course. Yeah, par for the course. I guess it's just another day at the office for him. Um, just simply unbelievable, and uh, and it's a good good place for for Dortmund to be in. Now the one that we talked about a little bit, Liverpool against Leipzig. Liverpool won that one two nothing, and kind of against the run of play, it seemed uh, that that they're able to come away with a, a win like that after their. The form that they've been in the Premier League, but it, it's kind of what you would have expected uh, at the beginning of the season, and so that's that's the result you get. Um, Leipzig, don't count them out though. I really, I really don't think they should be counted out of this one. They've got a lot of talent. They're uh, a, a team that has recently kind of uh, that have risen. They've risen up the ranks, and and they're getting recognized um, not just in Germany but all over Europe. And I think that that they've still got a shot at this one. It's obviously going to take a lot of work, but I think they've got the tools to do it. And and with with Liverpool's inconsistency, I, I think it could go any way. Um, but they do have work to do. Mm-hmm. And then the last one, uh, Porto pulling out a shock win against Juventus, winning that one two to one. Um, but I think it's important that Juventus scores there at at the end and yeah. makes it a two one game because you put a note in that a road goal could come back to haunt them. I think you're absolutely right. I think. That is that is exactly how how this how the Champions League works. Where mm-hmm. you know you get one away goal, all of a sudden, if you win this next game one nothing, you advance because yep. you you've made it two two and you've got the one away goal, and and uh, and Porto the, doesn't. Yeah, I I think you're right. I think there's a really I I, I think that Juventus is going to advance from this. Yeah. I, I think they're going to win by a couple goals, and and even if they don't, I think they can win one nothing. Um, Obviously, with Ronaldo, they've got 
the ability to score a lot of goals, um, balls in from Dybala, like things like that. And and I think a real goal is going to come back to haunt them. So um, those are the games that happened yeah. this week. Kyle, anything you want to add to that before uh, previewing this this coming week's yeah, game? Yeah, you ended on a perfect note for me as far as that's a big trend I saw, those road goals. And, and that's going to come back to bite some teams. I, it probably won't do it for Juventus, like you said. That also stood out with the Dortmund-Sevilla game, right? 3-2, another example where, really, Sevilla would rather be it be 2-1, face a 2-1 deficit, than a 3-2. Yeah. Now, as much more entertaining it was for everyone watching um, as neutrals, now now they got to go um, to Dortmund and, and pull out a big result. So... Road goals are something to watch in the next leg. And, and you touched a lot on that uh, Liverpool-Leipzig game, so I don't want to go into it much more. There were a couple of mistakes. Defenders fell. Good for Liverpool, I guess. I mean, yeah. I don't think they lose. I, I don't know the recent form at Anfield, but it's a European night without fans. I don't know. That's a weird game. Um, but kind of looking at two of the bigger ones, right? I wanted to go more in on PSG Barcelona. Of course, that is going to be the most talked about game pretty much anywhere you listen to it. Mbappe, again, had a hat trick. His first goal, unbelievable. I know I texted you. It was just mm-hmm. so beautiful the way that PSG worked the ball on that left side. One-touch soccer, making its way into the box. I believe it was like flicked on for Mbappe. He does yeah. a little bit of footwork. Power shot into the top left corner. That was unbelievable. You look at his last goal. He's pretty much running and curls a shot. Unbelievable stuff. And this is PSG, who you, you kind of in Champions League, think of them and you think of collapses you think of that Barcelona collapse a few years ago mm-hmm. I, I think they've learned a lot and it's been painful lessons for them they learned from losing the Bayern in the final last year but they had to make it past that stage to get there right um, that they normally fall short at but this is another level this is PSG four to one winners at Camp Nou in Barcelona not a lot of teams do that I, I don't know what the statistic was doesn't happen often. And, and I say that to say this. It all goes back to Kylian Mbappe. Probably, if not the top, I know Messi's still there, top four soccer player in the world right now. Yeah. At least in my opinion there. You have him. But I also want to talk about Holland, kind of mix both of these games. Now, of course, these two could end up being teammates at Real Madrid in like two or three years because that's <laughs> how global soccer works. Yeah. And I'm, what a team that would be, returning to um, the Galacticos again. But... You look at these two players, top of the game. Which is a player that you want to, or you would rather build a team around if you had to do it? Kind of, I don't know, it's kind of a classic question, but I always find it so interesting what people say to this. Yeah, well, okay. I will say that I like watching Mbappe more. I think that most people would probably say that just because he's a little bit more of a fiery player. Obviously, they're both fiery. Uh, Do you yeah, see Giorena's reaction yeah. as soon as he assisted Holland in that game a few months ago? Yeah, I, I know what you mean when you say that Holland's fire. Uh, they're definitely a different type of fiery. I, I think that's that's for sure. And and I don't. I, I say I'm going to make a comparison here, and I I don't mean it to be that these players are the same as the other because they are on totally different levels in terms of how many games they've played, how many goals they've scored, um, their overall impact on soccer. But I, when I think of Holland, he reminds me a lot more of Ronaldo versus when I think of Mbappe, he reminds me a lot more of Messi. And, and, I, and obviously, would you, if, if the question's asked, would you rather build a team around Messi or Ronaldo, that is like a nearly two impossible... Two different types of players. Yeah, they're both so good. It's, it's a near impossible question to answer. But those because are two different teams. They're two different teams. The thing is, 
it, it's such a hard question to answer because they're both they've both there's there's been a team built around both of them you know and and both teams are successful obviously PSG is the better team than Dortmund just on paper and and all of that but i i just i think that there there's so much that they do that's the same and at the same time they just play in totally different styles they they both just they score a lot of goals they're fast they're fiery they they they're they're able to finish yeah. uh very consistently um Holland seems to have a lot more strikes. I mean, he he is a striker versus Mbappe who will get around a defender, who'll slot one home. Um but then he has that one goal against uh uh against Barca where he just like you said it was a one-touch curl to the back post. Uh Ter Stegen had no chance. Um you know, and he, he had another strike where he got the flick and just smashed it home. I mean, it's really hard to say. Basically, I've just circled around yeah. the question without really answering it. I think um, you started with Mbappe. I, yeah, I, I think I would go with Mbappe. I like watching him more. I, I think he's a he's a more fun player to watch. But I, I don't want to discredit Holland because he's scored 71 goals in 70 games. That is unbelievable. What, what wins games? And it's going to be goals, right? So yeah. I'm going to... It's hard because I want to talk in circles too because it feels so good. And <laughs> the thing is, it's where you want that production. Do you want it on the wing? There's a value in having a wing player who can score goals, who knows how to read in and around the box, who can play in the box and not be afraid of it. Like there's so much value in having a position, a positionless player, kind of like Mbappe, who can strike. You think Richarlison, obviously not definitely at that level ever, but his ability to move in the striker. Now the thing is, when people say, do you want to start your team? You build around a number nine, a number nine you know who can score goals, that knows how to make runs, that knows how to put the ball in the back of the net. You just talked about his track record. It's so hard, and I, I, I'm finding myself circling around again, right? You want to build around a team? You want to build around someone like Erling Holland, who can score goals, mm-hmm. and the goals are going to win the game. Like Mbappe, Holland's going to be put in more positions to get that goal to win a game than Mbappe, just the nature of their position. Yeah. Now, they... They're both so fast. You know what? I'm going to say Holland, and I know he's not as fun to watch. I love watching Kylian Mbappe. They're both good on the break. Mm-hmm. Now, if Holland didn't know how to... it's You're looking at their teammates, too. It's such a hard yeah, conversation. Yeah, well, so that's the like, thing. Is like, who, who's like, on the wing and who's on the striker? Who's getting him the ball? That's the yeah. thing. Is he relying on that? Or is it going to be him, uh, Mbappe? Well, if Mbappe's doing all this, whatever he's doing on the sideline, it, how easy... I mean, you can probably find someone at half the price that fits into the team that can finish. Yeah. So well, and the thing is, we can go on and on about yeah. this for so long. I'm going to say and, Holland, by the way. Just okay. Play devil's fair. advocate. Um, I, and the thing is, the th- like you mentioned, that it's not just about the scoring of goals. And I think that's important when you're talking about Mbappe. And and I, I believe that Mbappe would be better. I, I think it's a it's a great disagreement to have, and I, I we should talk about it more. But Mbappe can also set up players to score, and and you're that right. that av- that adds another element. So Holland can score more goals than Mbappe can. Just he's he's like you said, he's in better places more more of the time, but. Mbappe's on the wing, and so he just naturally is in a position that isn't going to score as many goals. And yet he still scores a lot, and he, and he sets up goals too. That's important because if you just zero in yeah. one player, you need someone else. So it, there's there's so many yeah. different arguments to have it's here. It's crazy. We need to do yeah. this more off the show yeah. too because that was fun. Yeah. Um, so just stay tuned. 2025 San Diego Bernabeu, um, <laughs> Killing Mbappe, Erling Holland, Eden Hazard's still there going strong. Yeah. Whatever is happening at Real Madrid. We don't talk about them a lot. We should do that more. It's, it's kind of fun. Not a lot of star power there right now. With about five or six minutes left until uh, the top of the hour, we do need to go through some of next week's games. 
And same thing, we're going to run down a little bit of them and, and then kind of go into generic thoughts. So Atletico Madrid, Chelsea. So you see, I was not smart last week. Yeah, you thinking, thought it was last week, didn't you? I yeah. thought I was reading the schedule all wrong. And I'm like, wait, I was waiting to watch my three games during my J1400 class. But that did not happen. So, two of them. Yeah. so, yeah, there was only two games. So, yeah, this game, I talked about it last week. So I guess that's a little helpful. I provided my thoughts on that. Yeah. Um, I kind of had to know the defense of Atletico Madrid, Chelsea semi-inconsistent. Uh, other games we talked about, Lazio-Bayern. That's the other Tuesday game. That's going to be at 2 p.m. Central. All these games are going to be at 2 p.m. Central in the Champions League. Um, Atalanta-Madrid. There's Madrid. Kind of interesting. That's going to be Wednesday the 24th at 2 p.m. Central. And then I also touched on this. This is my game I was watching last week that didn't happen. Um, Borussia Mönchengladbach versus Manchester City. Those are the four games. So the last two are on Wednesday. The first two are on Tuesday. So is there any big talking points we need to touch on before the top of the hour here? You know, I think that it's it's not as uh like billboardy of a of a fixture uh schedule this week versus last week but i think the atletico madrid chelsea one obviously jumps out of the page madrid uh in first place in the in la liga they've got a huge lead um their defense that we, we've talked about before is phenomenal they've allowed like like 10 or 11 goals all season in the liga something like that crazy crazy low number against a chelsea team that has a lot of goal scorers and i think they're on a collision course. They're gonna they're gonna go at it, and um, I think it's gonna be a great game to watch defensively for Madrid. It's it's a big test for them playing an English team like Chelsea. Um, I, I think it it's gonna be a phenomenal game. Definitely for me, it's the best game of the week. Now I did talk about Bayern. I think Bayern is also an interesting story. Just whether they can put past uh, put their their recent struggle, very very short term struggle behind them, um, and 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 get a good result here against Lazio. I think that's another good one to watch. They're happening at the same time, so maybe have them on dual screen or whatever. I don't know. Um, and the other thing is that Lazio hasn't lost at home to German competition before. So correct. It, it kind of obviously you're playing Bayern, so that kind of all goes out the window. But you know, it, it's a statistic, and if if they're able to to maybe get a draw here or something, then the statistic will stay alive and will live uh, another game. But at the same time. Bayern is also unbeaten in their last five away games against Italian teams. So you can't really read into that at all because someone's got to, something's got to give. I mean, I guess they could draw, but um, mm-hmm. something's got to give. So I think that's another one too. That's, there's so many good games and obviously it's going to be um, Chelsea and Atletico Madrid that jump off the page. They it did to me too. That's why I talked about it last week. Lazio, Bayern's interesting. Bayern, of course, some iffy domestic results. I want to see how they can bounce back in, in German uh, or I mean, in the Champions League against a Lazio team that uh, they've never played before. Bayern, of course, have won 16 of its last 17 Champions League games dating back to last season. So it's not going to be an easy task. I think Bayern takes that game. I, I think it, it's going to be a pretty good one. Now, um, Borussia Mönchengladbach in City, of course, Marco Rose, um, he's leaving for Borussia Dortmund, but... I, I like watching Gladbach play. They have a player in uh, Marcus Taram who um, is just an amazing winger. So good. And, and Gladbach's, they're fun. They have like Florian Neuhaus, a lot of these players that are going to eventually end up in Bayern in like a year or two. But there's a reason that they're always near the top of the Bundesliga. Fun to watch for neutrals. I think that's going to be a fun game with City. City's just proving it, especially domestically. They beat Everton 3 1, which is whatever. 
but they're winning these games. City like three one, four one. Every week it's the same. City is just so good. I'm looking forward to seeing City play back in European competition where Pep, yeah. obviously, still a chip on his shoulder. He has not won a Champions League in a while. Obviously, did not do that or hasn't has not done that with City. Last done, I believe, when it was at Bayern. Mm-hmm. I think that sounds about right. If not that Barcelona, he's done it before. That's one thing that City really wants. This is this is like they can win the Premier League again going away. Yeah, but they can smell the uh, Champions League trophy. Well, and real quick on, on yeah. City, just a really quick thing is, you know, everyone talks about how their attacking is so dominant, and we talk about this all the time. But City won today, one nothing, and they scored. I think it was Sterling scored in the second minute. And they didn't allow a goal. And and those are the most difficult leads to keep, where you have the lead by one goal for that long. Everton did it against uh, Liverpool. <laughs> okay, fine, fine. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but anyway, um, you know, it's not just the attack. It's it's the defense to it, and and it's a really tough test for Gladbach. I, I, <laughs> they've got a lot in front of them, but, you know, it's a 0-0 right now, and, and they've got to go into it with that mentality. It's 0-0, like you said, so many good games, so many things. We really could talk about that... It just makes me more exciting. The more we get to do this on radio, get to get to talk about this, and I, I don't know. It's it's a lot of fun soccer going on. We got um, Champions League. You got domestic competitions. You have league play, Major League Soccer. You're about to get start going into Concacaf Champions League. So much fun stuff coming up in the world of soccer, and we'll be here to keep you updated here on Soccer from the Zoo on KCOU. 88.1 FM, you can listen to us here every Sunday night from 7 to 8 p.m. And if not, you can find us in podcast form wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I am Kyle Pinnell, joined by Michael Howie. You can find myself at, at Kyle underscore Pinnell underscore. You can find the podcast at Soccer at the Zoo, that's Z-O-U. And Michael, you have any final words and where can they find you? <laughs> yeah, well, you can find me at by Michael Howie on Twitter. Um, and yeah, I just excited for all this slate of games and, uh, excited to talk about it all again next week. So, uh, we'll, we'll see you next week, I guess. Enjoy some soccer this weekend. This has been soccer from the zoo on KCOU 88.1 FM.